I am very excited to welcome to this week's podcast two brilliant writers, voices in travel, Kate Wills and Anna Hart, and I'm going to allow them to introduce themselves and tell you all about the wonderful, inspirational stuff they do. Kate, over to you. Hi, Sheena. Great to be here. Um, I'm Kate Wills. I'm a travel writer and columnist, and I just published my first book, A Trip of One's Own, a couple of months ago. Uh, I've been a travel writer for almost um, 15 years now. Um, So, yeah, seen a lot of changes in that time, but um, never more so than, than currently. So really excited to be talking to you today. Great, and very excited to hear all about your opinions as well. Anna? Hi, um, Sheena, it's it's just so nice to be on talking to fellow fellow lovers of travel. Um, I'm a travel columnist and broadcaster, and I wrote my travel memoir, Departures, uh, two years ago. Um, and yes, as Kate says, this has been such a fascinating year for, for, for travel writers and, and would-be travellers. So there's so much to talk about so many it's actually never been a more interesting time I think to talk about travel so I'm really excited about this this podcast brilliant we're going to talk about all the last year and moving forward shortly but firstly the concept of getting away I mean it seems so far-fetched at the moment but getting away what makes it so appealing I think lockdown really showed us just how important travel was when something's taken away. It's often that you you realise why you missed it. And I'm sure Anna felt the same. Like, you know, it was for me, it was the longest um, that I'd been in London for, for my whole adult life. And I think things just felt so stagnant without being able to to get away. So, yeah, I think um all of us uh, are really um, have really been craving that that change of scene and change of perspective that that travel gives us. Yeah, I, I suppose I'd like to add that um, I've always relied on on travel to, to fix me. You know, I've always felt that by changing my external surroundings, I could immediately change my internal landscape. Um, and perhaps this is actually quite a lazy and spoiled way to change how I feel. And certainly this past year, I've had to find other ways of changing how I feel, sort of sorting out my moods, changing out how I feel about everything, getting a fresh perspective. Um, but I'm really excited about being able to rely on travel again. <laughs> that was always the medicine. That's such a lovely way of looking. I mean, it's such a therapeutic way of looking at it. You get away. You're getting away from work. You're getting away from a, a problem, a reality, a, a break or something. So absolutely the importance of that. Uh, Kate, you're not in London at the moment. I'm not no I'm actually in um Cadiz in in Spain for work I've been here for a couple of months now um so yeah I'm kind of in in a very um privileged and and lucky position really in that I have um I have been able to to travel before things have fully opened up um but uh yeah as I said it's it's for work so it's it's different feeling to being on holiday Absolutely. And Anna, I think you're newly vaccinated as well, which is super. Hopefully that opens up lots more travel as well. I mean, I'm not going to lie, getting vaccinated, I immediately felt like a lessening of the guilt and dread I realised I had been carrying around for a year. A little bit less guilt and dread. But also, yes, to me, it, it felt a little bit like like a passport. I feel like I'm, you know, a bit closer to being able to travel. Um, I'm so jealous of Kate being in Spain. I'm delighted for her. She deserves it. Um, 
but gosh, I have been in Margate for a year and I'm so, so ready for a change of scene. So yeah, thrilled for Kate, slightly hate her. <laughs> so we all, Margate must be wonderful when the weather's good, but crowded. Yeah, you know what? It's actually, I really can't complain. I mean, this time last year, I was in Austin in Texas about to um, cover South by Southwest, the festival. And I had a year of travel planned where I would travel across America by rail, covering different music festivals. So I was booked into New Orleans um, Festival, Louisiana Folk Festival. I had accommodation booked. I had friends joining me like in July, September. I mean, obviously that has now turned out to be one of the most ridiculous of retrospective pandemic plans. <laughs> that was not how my 2020 was meant to turn out. Um, but I, I really have to say Margate has been an amazing place to be. I have I have great friends here. I have the beach at the foot of my roads. And yeah, I, I feel like a lot of things combined to make sure I was in a place where I would stay sane um, as a traveler when I was really confined to my, my, my backyard. Brilliant. My gosh, if this was video and not audio, to see our faces as you talked about that trip covering festivals just sounds, oh my gosh, to miss that. Hopefully it will happen again. That sounds tremendous. I hope, I hope so. Do you both have any particular summer holidays that have been really memorable to date? Mm, I was thinking about this question and and there's something about summer holidays that I feel are quite imprinted in, in, in your memories because obviously when you're growing up you know that that summer you know summer holiday whether it's like with your family or or maybe like a girl's trip that you that you took when you were 17 in my case to Malia in in Crete and it was just like you know your first time being without parents I was thinking about somewhere that is is memorable that a little bit more more recently and and for me um it's Italy. I absolutely adore Italy. Not, not the only person. It's not a controversial viewpoint, but I had a a, a summer there um, a few years ago now, um, where I kind of I spent a couple of months just in the south, so just in that that heel part of the boot, um, in in Puglia, in this this little village called um, Grottole and and Matera. And I don't know if you've ever been to that part of the world, but it it's just incredibly magical it looks like it's out of a storybook yeah for me that that was just such a memorable trip for for so many reasons not least that I was with my now partner and we had just um just met so it was really a falling in love with each other and falling in love with Italy holiday (laughs) how romantic yeah and I I've been thinking I mean I've realized that actually for me um festivals music festivals are really are really kind of synonymous with with the summer to me and obviously this year that they're not really happening or it's the ones that are planned are still looking relatively shaky but yes I always feel that a festival transforms me and it makes me dirtier (laughs) it makes me grubbier and more hungover but I also feel like I, I learn so much from like the speakers you know from the musicians it's just this buffet of cultural and social delights and I, I really appreciate a good music festival. So yeah, I'm I'm sad for the British festival scene at the moment. Um, and I'm really hoping that a lot of them come back and perhaps come back, you know, smaller and more authentic and stronger next year. But yeah, to me it's I, I've really missed missed music festivals. I think it would be lovely to see how creative we all get and mm. how things will change based on the past year. That demand will be there, but maybe there's a little innovation with whether they are more boutique or what happens from it 
Absolutely. And and the one thing you, you can rely on creative people to be creative. <laughs> like that's that is what's gonna happen. So I do have faith in the in the creative community and, and the festival community to come up with with solutions and a beautiful way around this. So short of festivals, talking about summer travel trends, what do you both think are any big predictions for this year's summer travel trends? And for you, is it local or international as personal goalposts? Mm, I think it's going to be really interesting to see how people travel this summer. I've I've been reading a bit about um, what people are predicting. One one that particularly interested me is this um, idea of people are calling it life shopping. So this idea of going somewhere for a few months and kind of trying it out really as a as a potential place to live because I guess so many of us now can work remotely and the possibilities of of being based um, elsewhere are are open to us and obviously that's what I've been doing um, in Spain and it's felt so good to to be in a different city and really kind of just feel like you're living here for a little bit and you know you do get to find your local spots and and get in a routine and and that's been really lovely so I think we'll definitely see see extended trips as as a bit of a trend um on the other side of this which is great you know because I think even before the pandemic a lot of us were talking about you know slow travel and more sustainable travel and perhaps taking a bit longer to get somewhere and and being based there for a while might be a good solution to those things too yeah, I, I would I would really echo that. I mean, I um for the past year of my I've got a weekly um slow travel column in the Telegraph. Um, and actually writing a weekly telegraph a weekly travel column in a year when travel was pretty much illegal and um, has certainly been challenging at times. The only travel I did this past year was a week camping in Wales with my mum and dad. Um, but I still managed to keep a a weekly travel column afloat, which I do think is one of my greatest creative achievements. Um, but in that, I've really ex- explored, and I, I really do believe it's so that we're we're going to see a bit of an acceleration of of slowness. Actually, I think we will be people will be going fewer places, um, like less. You know, they'll really be thinking carefully about their destination. It will, and and then they'll be going there for a bit longer, and we'll be doing it less often. And I think, yeah, all travel writers, I think most of us had started to become a bit uncomfortable with the smash and grab approach to travel where we were flown places for, for you know, 30, 36 hours to review a hotel and then flown back again. So I think most of us are really, really welcoming this change. Yeah, I think slow travel is wonderful. I like the idea of the longer the longer trips. I mean, there was a whole concept of workations. I can't stand that word. But it certainly was a trend. Life shopping sounds much better. <laughs> um, I definitely enjoy that. And at camping. Yes. The great outdoors. Gosh, that is a big focus for travelers this summer. Are there any spots or nature spots or things that you're really keen to explore? Well, yeah. So camping has been close to my heart for a long time. You know, I was really reared on um, kind of soggy family camping trips when I was growing up in in Belfast. Um, And then obviously discovered music festivals at 15, which is slightly hedonistic twist on camping. That's still camping. And so... One of the really nice things about this kind of last couple of years is that I've really, yeah, really cemented my my love of of, of camping trips, and as as have a lot of travellers. And I definitely would identify as a trend that travellers are, are hoping to be more self sufficient. Actually, after a year of disappointments, we relying on yourself and knowing that you've got your accommodation. It can't be close at the last minute on you. You've got your accommodation, or perhaps you've got your mode of transport, whether it's a bike or a kayak. 
it's, it's gonna we're seeing a lot more yeah people being like I can I can kind of do a, a DIY break where I just really rely on on myself but in terms of places uh destinations to share uh I mean we're really really fortunate with with so much of Scotland um where where wild camping is permitted which is I think is a point really really worth highlighting um I'm a big fan of wild camping and that is yeah permitted in Scotland and in Northern Ireland uh and Wild camping is also permitted in Sweden, where I had a really memorable kayaking and camping trip, um, paddling around the Santa Ana archipelago. Um, and you're you're allowed to pitch up on any island. There are thousands. You're allowed to pitch up on any island as long as you're not next to someone's house, because that's a bit rude, and make a home for the night. And I I just found that that was such a delightful holiday. I would really recommend that sort of trip to anybody. But yeah, more generally, I'm a big advocate of wild camping and therefore the right to roam and and the fact that that, that some countries do legislate for that. Tell us about Club Jupiter. Oh, (laughs) I'd love to. Um, A year ago, when I was having a bit of a meltdown, as as most travel writers were, um, a couple of friends, um, an interior designer and a stylist, my friends um, Winnie and Emma, messaged me. We all live on the same road. And they just said, hey, how about we all club together, like gather a, a few grand each and buy a caravan and just pimp it up, make it beautiful, design just a really lovely, aspirational, slightly ridiculous holiday experience in our local local holiday park that was the birth of, of Club Jupiter we just birthed it over whatsapp messages and coffee um bought us ourselves a caravan and we've really we've really I mean I'm, I'm amazed by how it's looking I'm so proud of it it really is like Pontins meets Pam Springs it is so chic but it's also in a holiday park with an arcade and a clubhouse and a pool. To me, it just combines all of the kind of silliness and nostalgia of like classic British holiday breaks with some serious like design, you know, serious glamour as well in the in the rooms. That's brilliant. You create your own ideal hotel room and go wherever the hell you want. <laughs> it sounds <laughs> like a dream. Amazing. That sounds like my kind of camping. <laughs> <laughs> I would love to have you. I I'm, my room, Kate, is is jungle themed because I was pining for exotic travel. So it's got a bamboo roof, a bamboo bed, like rattan and little knickknacks for my travel. So it's very much a travel writer's bedroom. <laughs> wow, when are we brilliant. coming? That sounds amazing. <laughs> <laughs> so with that flexibility, and I guess that's UK based, have have you and perhaps friends of yours, travel writers, become a little obsessed with this traffic traffic light system in the last few months? I wish mm. everyone could see your faces and your eyes roll as I said traffic light system. Yeah, I mean, especially for me, because I'm actually obviously in an amber country at the moment. So I'm kind of waiting to, to find out what the rules are going to be for me um, coming home. But yeah, I mean, I think it has it has been quite confusing for for UK travellers and really difficult for the travel industry to respond appropriately with such little notice and countries moving moving around on the list. Yeah, just lack of lack of clarity really over over this amber list. You know, I know a lot of people are saying it should either be green or red. It shouldn't be really be this this middle way. But I, you know, I suppose the government are are trying to open things 
things up in a safe way and this is one one way of of doing it and I suppose it is it is better than what we had which was obviously a ban on on international travel all international travel so yeah I'm just sort of waiting refreshing daily really to to see what what will happen next for, for me, the past year has been, been an interesting one because I've really been torn between my my love of travel. Um, but then my brother is also an, an ICU anaesthetist, so he's been working in COVID wards every day. So I've had quite a, you know, one foot very much in the reality facing the NHS. And I guess I always felt that I only really want to travel when I know I'll feel welcome in that destination and do some good rather than scaring the locals who are scared by the number of tourists or or just not being welcomed or feeling like you're part of a problem that is my like guilty Irish upbringing <laughs> taken to a huge extreme so I am um, I, I pretty much I, I've really resigned myself to just UK-based trips for, for the rest of the summer until things become a little bit more calm and normal and also I, I really like chatting to waiters without masks and you know going to clubs and all of that stuff and I, I just I'm not sure a holiday would quite deliver what I hope it would um until until we're a bit further through um through this crisis um but I do think that the the mixed messages uh I don't think the government have handled it particularly well and it, it is confusing for travelers and people are you know they're they're really playing with people's daydreams and hopes and and also people's ability to see their family and friends and I think I think a bit more clarity uh and you know even if it was a bit more of a courageous but tougher decision w- would possibly have been easier on people um but yes I I do feel that we're all really due a fabulous holiday and I just hope that every single person in Britain when we do get that long-awaited holiday it absolutely delivers because we have earned it <laughs> I think it's a lovely, thoughtful, conscious approach to travel, at least if it's UK based. And bearing that in mind, I love the idea of go there when you're welcome and they're comfortable. I think that's a really important thing to think about, um, which is neglected because you go, I want to go, I'm going to go there. But think about the recipient as well. It's a lovely way of looking at it. On the other side, <laughs> looking out further afield and... Um, Firstly, there's obviously there's more planning required. So any tips or advice or wisdom you have to bestow would be very welcome. And if it is further afield and seeing what we're kind of predicting with this traffic light system, are there any further afield destinations you think uh, the listeners can maybe look into if they want to step out of the UK? Um, so I'm I'm actually a really bad planner when it comes to travel. Um, but one thing that I always do is is plan the first night somewhere. I think especially if you're traveling solo, which which Anna and I both do a lot, I think it's really key to just know where you're going to be sleeping on the first night, maybe where you're going to have dinner. Because when you arrive somewhere, you're often jet lagged and discombobulated and um, you don't want to have to make any decisions. So, yeah, just kind of have everything sorted for your first night. But apart from that, I actually think it's really important to not plan too much. And I will actually kind of quite consciously sort of set aside a day where I've got no plans in a place and I can just kind of wander and and see see what um, unfolds. So yeah, I think planning to have no plan is is important as much as as um, being organised is sometimes. Do you agree, Anna? 
I do. And I, I think you actually get a, a very good, good balance, Kate. Um, I'm lucky. I've, I've traveled with, with Kate a few times and we, we share a total lack of organization and, but also a desire to do everything. So yeah, I, that, that, that really resonates. Um, but I do, I love your tip as well about always booking something for the first night, just so that you can relax when you get there. In terms of planning, I suppose I, one thing I really try not to arrive on distant soil without are a few key phrases, the same 10 to 15 phrases that I just try and master that I think cover you in a surprising number of eventualities, including stuff like I'm out of luck or I've been lucky. This is beautiful. We're having a lovely time. It's basically a, a beginner's guide to like charming the pants off people in any country. And I, I can say those 15 phrases in probably about 15 different languages now. But I feel like that's that's something I always want to arrive, just knowing that the basics, the please and thank you, and then a few little phrases that really kind of ease your landing in a new place. Yeah, a little bit goes a long way often as well. It really does. Yeah. It really does. Plus, you sound adorable when you're, you're struggling with the yeah. language. You know the way French women sound to our ears and we're like, oh, so, so, <laughs> yeah. I swear, that's sounds in Indian <laughs> it really takes away that kind of British arrogance of not having expecting everyone to speak English and you're making an effort in another language and I'm sure that's completely appreciated wherever we go mm. any uh, particular destinations oh yeah in terms of places I think um kind of following on from what Anna said really about um you know making sure that you're welcome I think the, the places on, on my list um, post-pandemic are going to be the places that are really suffering from under-tourism right now. So those places that are so reliant on the tourist dollar that the last 18 months have just been so difficult for. It's kind of a win-win a there because those are places that normally perhaps a bit crowded, but by going to them first now, you might get to, to see them without so many tourists and be just really appreciated and welcomed. Those kind of places are going to be on my list too. Yeah, I, I think I, I, I would echo that. Um, that actually a big part of, of travel writing is, or responsible travel writing is, is crowd control. And it's trying to send people to the right places at the right time of year so sometimes perhaps out of season so there's not too much of a footprint all in the summer months um and also direct tourism and the the tourism and, and the travel dollar um where it needs to go and where it's appreciated uh, so actually myself and I'm sure Kate is the same like travel writers feel a real responsibility right now after the past year to send travelers to not just a destination where they will have a, a beautiful restorative you know much needed um, relaxing break, but also the, the, the destinations that, that could really, really be served well by, by tourism and, and that really need it. So, yeah, I feel like we've already got to fill our socks up. We've got, got quite a big job to do. Kate, your baby moon holiday to Hawaii was cancelled. Is that true? Yeah, that's oh, right. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> my, la my last chance. <laughs> Did you manage to take another trip? After that, or is this the first one where you are now? No, we did, actually. We ended up going to the Lake District. Um, I think I was about, yeah, about six months pregnant um, instead of Hawaii, which actually, with hindsight, was probably better. <laughs> that would have been a really long flight. Yeah, probably the, the, the waves in Hawaii might not have been so, so good. So, yeah, I went, I swam in Lake Windermere instead, which was a lot calmer. Yeah, I think it's a really nice a really special time really to make a trip when you're pregnant if you feel up for it which I did because I think um not only is it the last 
trip that you'll take for a long time without your baby. So there's the wanting to make the most of that. But also it felt kind of cool to be taking this little person and showing them a little bit of the world. And yeah, the Lake District is somewhere that I'd long had on my list to visit, but had never got round to because it always seemed a bit far away. And I was traveling abroad and, and didn't really sort of see this stuff on my doorstep. So yeah, I mean, wow, what a, what a mind-blowingly beautiful place. So yeah, it was, it was great. That's a lovely recommendation for expectant mothers. Anywhere else that you'd suggest that um, mums-to-be can look at before those nappies come flooding in? Yeah. <laughs> I think the thing with a, with a baby moon, as people call them, is, is sort of not to, not to go too far out of your comfort zone. I think what, whatever your kind of like happy place is, in terms of travel. So for some people, that might be like the luxury spa. For some people, it might be, um, you know, camping somewhere really remote. But yeah, d- just doing something that makes you feel like really good and really comfortable and really relaxed is, is, is key, I think, with, with, uh, with a holiday when you're pregnant. You mentioned solo travel and that you both do a lot, I guess, for work a lot as well as otherwise for pleasure. You read a book about solo travel. Um, do you think that's a trend that will dissipate because people have spent so much time alone? Or is that something maybe people will embrace and actually take forward? Yeah, it's interesting one. I actually do think that it's going to get even bigger after the pandemic, purely because I think people are going to have quite different priorities to their friends and family post-pandemic and also different budgets and perhaps also just a different willingness to take the risks and the the hassles that, that are going to come with travel in the coming months. So I think there will be a real surge of, of people who maybe they've they've spent so long kind of in their support bubble or kind of cooped up with their family and they, they are just going to want to want to go and go off and discover some things things solo so I think it will be interesting to see I know I know Anna has a different take on this maybe that that people are going to want to travel with friends now I so I wrote, wrote my travel memoirs of departures very much focused on, on solo female travel a couple of years ago um and I really thought that during the past year nobody would want to read my book about my travels but I've been amazed at how like well it's sold and I've never had more comments from readers who are reading the book and traveling vicariously th- through the pages. Um, so actually, I, I do agree with Kate. I do think that we're going to see a real boom in solo travel because solo travel is the most, it's its like the extreme sport of travel. Like it's, it, the highs are higher, the lows are lower. But as Kate says, I mean, you can choose exactly what you want and just go for it without having to compromise. And we've probably all compromised quite enough this past year <laughs> with everything. However, I do also feel a real like, thirst for connection and I personally speaking I feel like I've perhaps prioritized my own my own intentions and my own desires more than actually a a lovely bonding holiday with some friends I've missed family holidays because I've gone on more glamorous work trips and the past year I've had plenty of time to tell myself off about that and regret missing those big important occasions and think okay when when I start traveling again it's actually gonna be all about the people I love incredible those lessons that we kind of learn and reevaluate in the past year when it comes to travel or those momentous occasions so you mentioned departures and anyone that hasn't read it must read it Kate you've got a trip of one's own yes that's right yeah so it follows in the footsteps of solo female travelers through history 
So it's partly a memoir, but it's partly a biography of these just amazing women who I discovered who were just getting out there and exploring the world and who aren't better known for some reason. So yeah, it it, it was interesting because I, I started by retracing their footsteps. And so I was going to, you know, Israel and Palestine and Mauritius and Bali. And then the, uh, the pandemic happened. So the last few chapters of the book are a bit closer to home. So they're kind of Devon and uh, Hackney, but within the kind of more more local realm, there were some really incredible stories to, to write about. Brilliant. These are both must reads for the summer reading list, that's for sure. That sounds fantastic. One final question. This is whizzed by. What do you believe is the passport to the perfect summer of travel? So I think being flexible and open-minded is a good approach to travel generally, but particularly this summer with everything the way it is. It might not be your typical summer holiday, but I think if you approach it in the right way and you're adaptable, then there are going to be some amazing experiences to be had, whether that is on your doorstep or further afield. I suppose my tip would be just to not miss any opportunity to connect with another human. Um, We've all had such an isolating year. And even if it's literally just a a brief exchange with um, the passport official or the the hotel concierge or the person that you're sitting next to on the beach. I, I just think making the effort to make eye contact and just share a little moment, share a joke. I think for me, that that's really what's, what elevates a trip is, is, is human connection. Yeah, that's so true. And so many of us now are just on our phones, you know, me included when we travel because, you know, we're looking at the map or we're Googling best places to eat in wherever. So yeah, just just putting phones and screens away and having that that human interaction is so important. I agree. That's a lovely way to tie it together. I think having that open mindedness in whatever situation we are in, wherever we do end up going, and actually open mindedness to speak to everybody and, and learn and share those experiences. We've all universally gone through this year together in whatever how how in whatever capacity it is. So thank you both. For that, I wish you both the most wonderful summer of travel. The rest of your trip in Cadiz, that's the correct way of saying it. And all of your upcoming travels, Anna, that's really super. We'll all be reading your books as well. Where can we follow you on social media? So I am Kate Wills Writes on Instagram. And I'm Anna.Hart on Instagram. Thank you both. Happy summer. I hope you enjoyed this episode. We have some great women in our season two, and we would love you to check back in and listen to them. So far, we've explored travel journalism. We've gone behind the scenes at our favorite hotels with our favorite hoteliers. We've explored the world through food. And most importantly, we have discussed the future of travel, travel post-COVID. If you're enjoying our podcast, please do share, comment, like, subscribe, or just drop us a note and let us know. Available on iTunes and Spotify. Happy listening.